winds of confusion are blowing across our land. Some are searching for direction, but I know just where I stand. My faith in America and Jesus is not lost, so I'll stand up for old glory. And kneel at the cross The lady in the harbor Still holds her torch up high So we're convinced the fires Of liberty will never die There's just one lasting freedom And Jesus paid its cost so let's stand up for old glory and kneel at the cross. If the flag don't wave, the blood still saves, the scars and stripes forever, till the anthem of the trumpets bring us all together. America was founded on God's unchanging laws, so let's stand up for old glory and kneel at the cross. If the flag won't wave, the blood still saves its scars and stripes forever till the anthem of the trumpets brings us all together. Oh, America was founded on God's unchanging laws. So let's stand up for old glory and kneel at the cross. The eagle can't fly. For old glory and kneel at the cross at the cross. Thank you, Vance. Absolutely beautiful. If you have your Bible, please open it to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 will be reading verses 49 through 56. Of course, that is uh, stated in your bulletin as well. As we've moved through Psalm 119, I've tried to remind us that the entirety of chapter 119 is an acrostic poem, and that each section that we go through is uh, begun with a, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It kind of reminds me of a show I used to watch when I was a kid, uh, where each week the episode of that show was brought to you by a special letter. Anybody ever watch that show? The, thank you. Yes, Sesame Street, right? And uh, each week they would say, this week's show brought to you by the letter something. Well, each sermon, this, uh, each sermon I preach from this 
this psalm is brought to you by the letter. Today's letter is Zion. Zion, not Z-I-O-N, like uh, the Mount of Zion, uh, but Zion or uh, Zon, sometimes it's pronounced. In our scripture, each line of this section begins with the letter Zion. And it sounds a lot like our Z, but obviously it differs in position in our alphabet, since our Z letter is the very last letter in the English alphabet. And so in this section, the starting word for each line begins with this Zion letter. And three of those lines begin with a form of this Hebrew word, zakor, which translates remembrance, to remember. I wonder if you remember a story that I heard some time ago. Perhaps you've heard this story too. It comes from a medical missionary with an uh, overseas crusades mission group. It's the story that this missionary shared when he came to his home church. He was back in the United States on his furlough year, and he had this story that he had shared that had happened to him while he was serving over in Africa. This is how the story goes. Maybe Again, maybe you've heard this story before. He said, while I was serving in a small field in Africa, I traveled by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city every two weeks for supplies, a journey of two days requiring camping overnight at the halfway point. On one of the journeys, I arrived in the city to collect money from a bank, purchase medicine and supplies, and begin my two-day journey back to the field hospital. Upon arrival in the city, I observed two men fighting. One man had been seriously injured, so I treated him for his injuries, while at the same time witnessing to him of the Lord Jesus. When I traveled back the two days camping overnight and arrived home without incident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey. Upon arriving in the city, I was approached by the young man I had treated two weeks earlier. He told me that he had known that I carried money and medicines. And he said, some friends of mine and I followed you into the jungle, knowing that you would camp overnight. We were waiting just outside your campsite for you to go to sleep. We were going to kill you and take your money and your medicines. But just as we were about to move into your campsite, we observed and counted 26 armed guards standing around you. At this point in the church service, remember the man is giving a story in his home church back in America. So at this point during his testimony, there was a man that jumped to his feet and interrupted the missionary's story. And he asked, Sir, can you tell me the exact day when this incident happened? He took me a moment to recall, but I could. When I gave the date it happened, the man who had interrupted me told me this story. When it is night in Africa, it is day here, obviously. On the night of your incident, I was, it was morning here, and I was preparing to go play a round of golf. As I was putting my golf bag into the car, I felt the Lord leading me to pray specifically for you. In fact, the urging was so strong that I called several of the men in this church together to meet with me here in the sanctuary and pray for you. Then the man turned to the people in the sanctuary and said, Would all of those who met with me on that morning please stand up? The men who met together prayed that day stood. The number was exactly 26. 26 praying men in the United States became 26 angels of God in Africa. What a story of faith and of God's intervention and an answer to prayer. of God's presence in this world. There's only one problem with this story. It's not true. Sorry. <laughs> you might call it an urban legend. You might these days call it fake news. Nevertheless, it is not a true story. 
For one, overseas crusades has confirmed they have no medical missions or send no medical missionaries out. And the founder of this ministry has long since confirmed that no story ever happened. The existence and life of stories like this one are a telltale sign of a deeper issue we have as followers of Christ. There is sometimes almost a desperate desire on our part to be able to see the truth and not always have to believe it. Paul may tell us that we must live by faith and not by sight, but we as human beings crave to see or hear some physical manifestation of our faith. And in the end, we do this because we are seeking comfort. And we find comfort in knowing that there are physical manifestations of our faith. Are there? Absolutely. But should that be the end-all, be-all for comfort that we find? Well, I have this story. What happens when we find out when the story is not true? In our scripture from Psalm 119, the psalmist is desperate for comfort in the midst of affliction. Now, up to this point... I have talked about his reproach, his scorn, his rebuke, essentially different types of affliction he has gone through, but I have attributed to a consequence of his own choices, his sinful choices. I've attributed to just troubles that we go through because of the fallen world that we live in. It wasn't necessarily personal, but it was spiritual. But the affliction that he speaks of in the verses we're about to read are specifically, I believe, at the hands of others because of the language that he uses. And when that happens in our lives, when we have affliction in our life because of somebody else, when others cause us affliction, we generally are seeking for some kind of comfort. When someone scolds us or talks badly of us or gets on us, we usually go running for something to comfort us. That's what the psalmist is looking for as well. We're going to see what he goes to for comfort. We need to ask ourselves the same question. Is that what I'm going to for comfort? Let's pause and read our scripture before I go any further. Psalm 119, starting in verse 49. Remember the word to your servant, upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision. Yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of, of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Verse 53. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. Verse 56. And this has become mine because I kept your precepts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would help us to apply it to our life. We pray that the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just pound on us exactly what we need to do because of your word. Lord, that you would help us apply it and change from the inside out. It is in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So first, I want to talk about his affliction, and then I want to talk about where he's going to for comfort. His affliction. And basically, he, he points to two things about his affliction. The first thing he points to is, he says, the proud have me in derision. 
Now Vance and I had a little fun this week on Facebook going back and forth about what exactly this word means. And you all know I generally don't try to use big words or words that make me look smart. Uh, that's not, anyway, we won't go there. But I went with this word because most of the English translations uses, use this word, derision. I think there's a couple that use the word scorn, and another one that perhaps uses the word mocking instead of derision. There may be one that uses contempt as well. The Hebrew translation of this word is spot on for how we define the English word derision. It refers to showing contempt for someone or something through ridicule or mockery. And you may be saying, well, why don't we just use the word contempt? Because you can have contempt and never show it. Derision is showing contempt through mockery or ridicule. And generally, a person derides someone or something else because they think that someone or something else is worthless or stupid or less than they are. Which is the reason the psalmist says, the proud, the haughty, those that are full of themselves, those who think they are better than those they are deriding. The proud are those with haughty view of themselves generally do not see a need for aligning their lives morally or ethically with God's law because they believe they, they do a fine job on their own. And interestingly, this Hebrew word for derision is sometimes used for one who is incapable of discipline. Derision means one who is incapable of discipline, one who is incapable of being guided. The proud have me in derision. Undoubtedly, this psalmist has aligned his life with God's word, and he's now being derided for it, perhaps. Perhaps that's what has happened. Perhaps that's his affliction. As he says, though they deride me, he says, I do not turn aside from your law. In other words, they're showing contempt, they're ridiculing, they're mocking him, and maybe it's because he continues to hold himself to the standard of God's word. Perhaps they're saying something like this, well, look at Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. He just thinks he's better than everybody else because he follows God's law. Maybe you've heard something like that before. One of the presumed authors of Psalm 119 is Daniel. I know I've talked a little bit about David, but Daniel is also thought to perhaps be the author of Psalm 119. And I could particularly picture him writing this section as he was being thrown literally into the lion's den because he chose to pray to God instead of praying to the king. If you remember that story, you'll remember the king was persuaded to make this law that no one could pray to anyone except the king. And it was, it was, he was persuaded to make that law by men who were too proud to acknowledge Daniel's ethical and moral high ground. And so they tricked the king into doing this. You might even call this bullying. Old Testament style, right? Nowadays, we make quite a big deal out of bullying. How it is wrong. How it should be stopped. In my day, we thought it built character. And it made us stronger. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, I remember hearing a lot of this. Just ignore it and it'll go away. But I remember a valuable lesson my mother taught me when I was a child about bullying, about people picking on you. She said, Brian, what they say or what they do to you says more about who they aren't than who you are. That stuck with me. 
I'm not saying we should go back to our old philosophies of handling bullying. I think we do need to put a stop to it, but I do believe there is a need for us to put it into perspective. Bullying, mockery, derision, contempt have always been around and probably always will be around because the root of its cause, which the psalmist addresses next in verse 53. What he says is, indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. He's talking about sin. Derision, mockery, ridicule, contempt, these things um, are around because of sin. Indignation is the word he uses, and perhaps that's another word we don't generally use in our everyday language. At first, we might think it just means to be upset or, or angry, but the Hebrew goes a little bit deeper. It actually means an anger aroused by injustice. An anger aroused by injustice or something that goes against a person's dignity. The psalmist writes that he is indignant, not just because of his personal mistreatment, but because of the wicked and they were forsaking the law. In other words, he was indignant because of the sinfulness of the wicked. And mistreating people, any people, for any reason of all, is a direct violation of God's law. That ties back. To what he said first, how the proud have him in derision. He says, "Yet I do not turn aside from your law." And then that stands again, or stands with this verse fifty-three: "The wicked, though, forsake the law." I'm indignant. I am righteously angry because of the injustice of them breaking God's law. So when someone is humiliated. The righteous should be indignant. When someone is mistreated, the righteous should be indignant. Because these actions go against God's law. Love your neighbor as yourself. This past week, we've been watching in agony as more bad news from around the world trickles into our living room. Uh, through the TV, through that one-eye mesmerizer. And most of the news revolves around injustice of one group against another group. And as we watch the injustice of one group against another group, you might have become indignant because of what you perceived as injustice. But therein lies the problem. Because injustice is not perceived by us. Injustice is judged by God, the righteous judge. He is the only just judge. And so as we consider all that we see or hear or read, from reports, we need to consider what exactly is injustice by God's standards set in His law. There is absolutely no place in Christianity for Christ's followers for racism of any sort. Showing contempt or derision towards a person or people because of the color of their skin, because of their ethnic background, or because of their socioeconomics is a complete contradiction of God's holy law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And derision can come about in a number of ways. Stereotyping a race. Using words to describe that race that have been determined to be offensive or slurring or derogatory. Attributing particular negative characteristics to everyone of a particular skin color and so on. These are forms of derision. These are contempting people because of who they are or who they aren't. It is not loving your neighbor as yourself, which again 
God's law, if you think the world would be better off if these people of a certain color no longer existed. That's not loving God's people. That's not loving your neighbor as yourself. In fact, we fought a war against someone who thought this way, that everyone of a certain uh, skin color or uh, a race should be eliminated. Maybe you've heard of it. It was called World War II. Hitler was perhaps one of the worst racists that ever existed. Brings up another thought, though, or in this current conditions of our nation. The problem is not political. The problem is not social. What causes the indignation of our psalmist, let's go back to that. Verse 53, because of the wicked who forsake your law. Sin is the issue. Sin has always been the issue. And this is our calling as well, to be indignant over sin. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you are on, left or right, Republican or Democratic or Whig, sin will always be the problem. And sin, until it is eliminated at that last great call of Christ, will continue to be the problem in this world. But as God's people, we are called to be against it, to recognize it, to call it out, and to be indignant over it. The psalmist is afflicted because of the sin of others. He laments over it. He is angry. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt upset because of the sins of others? Not because it hurt you, not because it hurt our nation, but because of what the psalmist says. The wicked forsake God's law. The picture I get here is one who has great zeal for God's glory, for God's law. His indignation is not because of a personal offense, but because of an offense, an offense against God. And as we look at this moment in our history, it might cause us to lose hope. It might cause us to think everything is completely out of control and sin is winning. And this is where the psalmist remembers, though, where true comfort should come from, where we get the comfort we need. As I stated earlier, three times the psalmist uses this word for remember in this section of verses 49 through uh, uh, 56. And it is the same word that begins the letter of the, of the letter of the week, Zion. In verse 49, I think I put accidentally verse 48, it should say verse 49. Verse 49, he says, remember the word to your servant upon which he hopes and, and on to. Verse 50, it is his comfort in affliction. Remember your word to your servant upon which he hopes and on to. Verse 50, it is his comfort in affliction. In that he is asking the Lord, or better put, requesting in prayer to remind him of God's word. Do you know whose job that is to remind us of God's word? God says, I will remind you of his word. Over in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus is teaching his disciples about this coming paraclete, translated comforter, who we call the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 26 about the Holy Spirit, that he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Isn't it amazing? Hundreds of years before Jesus would say this about the Holy Spirit, God inspires this psalmist to essentially say the same thing. Remember to me, 
Remind me, Lord, of your word so that I may be comforted in it, that I may have hope in it, that I have comfort in my affliction. There is comfort in his word. The problem is, is that we often get so distracted by our affliction or the afflictions of this world or the issues in this world that we forget to go running to God's word, to turn to God's words, which you have caused me to hope, he says, upon which you have caused me to hope. And you may be saying, well, that doesn't say comfort, it says hope. Do you know throughout scripture there is a direct link between hope and comfort? One particular scripture that comes to mind is Romans uh, 15.4 where Paul says the comfort of the word gives us hope. The comfort of scriptures gives us hope. There is a comfort, there is a hope that comes from God's word. and We should pray daily, Lord remind me of your word that I might find comfort, that I might find comfort in my affliction. In verse 52, the second remembered, he says, I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Not only does he have the God of all creation reminding of him of his word, but the psalmist has said, that which he has remembered, I want to comfort myself by it. Some of you may, be still be, may, some of you may still be wondering, why are we emphasizing memorizing scripture? This is why. The first reason I gave you several weeks ago, Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Thank you, Psalm 119.11. That's our first reason. We want to memorize scripture. We want to store it in our heart that we will guard ourselves from sinning against the Lord. Here's our second reason though. He says, I remembered your judgments. That's another word for God's word. I remembered God's word of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Why are we emphasizing scripture? Because there are times in our lives we need to pop up in our minds to comfort us, to give us the encouragement we need. That's what God's word can do for us. Why do we memorize it? Because it answers so much of our issues, our everyday living life issues. Whether it's affliction from someone else, whether it's some kind of affliction that comes from living in a fallen world, whether it's affliction from some deep spiritual emotional problems right now, God's Word can remind us and comfort us in those moments. We find answers in God's Word. Finally, in verse 55, he says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. I remember your name. It's a reference to the identity of God. Remembering His name is essentially remembering His attributes. All of the things that He is known for. Remembering His name. I am that I am. Yahweh. The one who has existed, who has always existed, who will always exist. Some of the translations of that Hebrew word, Yahweh. The first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. And the psalmist would know this about God's identity only through reading God's Word. God's Word, remembering God's Word, being reminded through the work of the Holy Spirit is what gives the psalmist comfort in the midst of his affliction. And the look at the quality of his comfort. 
It's not just some kind of passing by comfort that he experiences. He says this in verse 54. He says, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. You know, he began this psalm by talking about comfort in affliction. He began this psalm by talking about the proud giving him great derision. He, he uh, midway through this psalm, talked about his indignation over those who forsake the law. Now, though, he's talking about God's word being his song, being his songs in the house of his pilgrimage. You generally sing when your heart is happy, when your heart has answers, when your heart is comforted, generally. I know we have some uh, ballads and mournful songs that we sing also, but generally we sing as a response of happiness and of rejoicing. And the house of his pilgrimage is a reference to the body. We're on a pilgrimage on this earth. It's not going to last forever. There's coming a time when this body will leave this place. If you understand that our time on earth is but a pilgrimage and our times in these physical bodies is only temporary, then the psalmist is saying he is able to find happiness in this temporary life on earth. Why? Because of God's word. That's the level of his comfort. In the midst of his affliction, in the midst of his indignation, in the, split, in the midst of his derision, he is able to say, I can sing about your word, Lord. I can sing about your scripture. I can lift up praises to you. Because I know this life is temporary. I know this is just a short pilgrimage. Then the psalmist is saying he is able to find happiness in this life on earth because he relies on God's word. There's so much comfort to be found in God's word. God's word reminds us that he loves us from beginning to end. Either it directly talks about his love for us, Old Testament too. I know a lot of people think that God is love is just a New Testament idea. It's not. Old Testament too. God is love. God loves us. His immense grace, overflowing grace, His forgiveness, His mercy, all of these ideas are presented in the gospel. They're, I mean, presented in the, in the Bible throughout from front to back. His presence. That He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always there. I wanted to talk to the kids about how God always hears our prayers. Always, always, always hears our prayers. There's so much comfort. You know, I, I would highly suggest, if you've ever seen one of those God's promises in the Bible, getting one of those, man, it just highlights those encouraging, comforting promises that we need to grasp onto. You can buy them at bookstores. I think I've seen them at sell for at Walmart, right? Man, God's word. It's just an over, it's a fountain of comfort, really. Well, so what, you may be saying? Well, why does this matter? We need to ask ourselves, what are we finding comfort in? What are we finding comfort in? As humans, as, as we go through this life, we have a tendency to go and try to find comfort in any number of things. Uh, I've talked before about comfort food. Boy, we went and ate this past Wednesday at, uh, at uh, the tree in Woodville, and I got this chicken fried steak, and I mean, this thing is this big around. Huge. Mashed potatoes. Oh, it was good. Comfort food. After that, we went and had an ice cream shake. 
Obviously, I didn't eat all of the steak and all that, but anyway, comfort. We, we try to find comfort in food. We try to find comfort in music. We try to find comfort in drugs, legal and illegal. We try to find comfort in people, relationships. The problem is, is all of these things are temporal. They don't last. And so when they go away or when they let us down or they begin to do damage on our bodies, where's the comfort then? We have to guide ourselves. We have to be people of discipline that make ourselves go running to God's Word. Make ourselves go to God's Word and finding our comfort in God's Word. And the application for this is limitless. So many different ways that we can go running to God's Word for comfort in our lives. God wants us to go to Him. Vance, I loved your song this morning, and I absolutely agree. We can stand up for old glory. We can stand up for the freedoms we have in this nation, but we better be kneeling at the cross. And I'd also add a line to that song and say, we better be running to God's Word. We better be basing our life, our, our everything in God's Word. Our greatest comfort should be like the psalmist who says, Give us a song in the house of our pilgrimage. My greatest comfort is that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in this nation, no matter what happens to me legally, you know, if we become one of those areas where it's illegal to be a, a Christian, my greatest comfort is knowing I have God's word to go to. I have God to go to. And I have my relationship with God. And that all things are in His hands. That God holds the future. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know who holds tomorrow. Amen? We'd love to sing that song. Do we really and truly believe it? Many years ago, I surrendered myself into His hands, to His ever-comforting hands. I secured my salvation by placing my faith in the grace of Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, which is how this last verse really applies. Verse 56 he says, this has become mine because I kept your precepts. This comfort in the midst of affliction has become mine because I have kept your word. And the ultimate way of keeping God's word is going to Jesus Christ in faith as Savior and Lord. That is the ultimate way of keeping his precepts. If we don't do that, then we haven't done anything. And I don't need some miraculous story about people praying here and it translating over in Africa. I don't need some miraculous story about missionaries being rescued at the split moment or, or armed guards surrounding a missionary in the middle of the night. I don't need that. All I need is God, His presence, and His Word in my life. God's Word and His presence can give us the best comfort available. And here's the thing about it. It never goes away. God's Word, His presence, they're always, always there. And all of God's words, all of His precepts, testimonies, judgments, statutes, all of these things, they point to that one true comfort, a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the ultimate comfort. And until you find the comfort of knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord, all comfort will escape you. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. I want to ask you that question one more time. And what do you find your comfort? What do you go to to comfort yourself, to encourage yourself 
in the midst of affliction, in the midst of darkness, in the, the darkest moment of life, what do you turn to? Have you ever turned yourself over to Jesus as Savior and Lord? During this time of response, we're going to uh, uh, stand up, we're going to sing a song, and, and however the Spirit, however God may be tugging on your heart, we pray you would respond obediently to Him. To Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your presence. We thank You for the power of Your Word. Lord, I thank You for the powerfulness of Your comfort, which is true. Father, I just pray that we would respond to You this morning in however way You are leading each and every one of us, whether it's prayer, whether it's surrender, whether it's to You in salvation. Lord, we would give ourselves over to You and find that our best comfort will always come with you, through you. It is in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with